Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani r-rajim. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Alhamdulillahi alladhi hadana lihada wa ma kunna linahtadiya lawla an hadana Allah. Wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrif al-anbiya wa sayyidi al-mursaleen wa shafi'i al-muznibin. Sayyidina wa nabiyyina wa habibi qulubina wa tabibi nufusina. Wa shafi'i dhunubina abil qasim muhammad. Wassalatu wassalamu ala ahli baytihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin al-ma'asumin al-madhulumin al-muntajabin. La siyama maulana wa sayyidi sahib al-asri wa al-zaman ruhi wa arwahu al-alamin lahu al-fidah wa ajjalu lahu ta'ala farajuhu al-sharif. Wa la'natu da'imatu ala ada'ahim wa munkiri fada'ilihim al-alan. Ila al-qiyami yawmiddin amma ba'd faqad qala Allahu al-hakim. Fi kitabihi al-mubin. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Ya ayyuhal nas, inna wa'ad Allahi haq, fala taghurrannakum al-hayatu al-dunya, wala yaghurrannakum billahi al-ghurur. Sadaqallahu al-aliyu al-azim. For the hastening of the return of our 12th Imam, Imam al-Hujjah, for the purification of our hearts and our souls, and for life to be given to this majlis al-azah, the virtual majlis al-azah of Imam Hussain alayhi salam, recite, Allowed salawat upon Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad wa ajjil farajahum. My dear brothers and sisters in Iman, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. A'adhum Allahu ujurana wa ujurakum bi musabina bi Abi Abdillah al-Husayn alayhi salatu wa salam. May Allah give each and every one of us the greatest of rewards for commemorating the supreme sacrifice and for remembering the greatest tragedy to ever befall humanity. And that is the tragedy of Karbala, the tragedy which befell Abu Abdullah al-Hussein alayhi salatu wassalam and his family and friends on the 10th of Muharram in the year 61 after the Hijrah. Tonight in this fifth night of the month of Muharram of 1442 after the Hijrah, we continue in the theme that we have been going over the last four nights which is dealing with temporal strife through living a Quranic life. And again, the goal of these 10 nights, this series, is to recognize the fact that we go through difficulties in life, not only in this COVID-19 era, but our entire lives are full of challenges. We have many difficulties and ups and downs that we go through in life at a personal level, at a community level, at the level of the country that we live in. The goal is, however, to recognize these challenges and to use the Qur'an as our guide. Obviously the Qur'an as taught to us by the Prophet and his Ahlul Bayt, and the ulama, the Shia ulama who have dedicated their lives to understanding and explaining the Qur'an throughout the ages. Tonight in this fifth night, the topic I want to revolve around, that I want to reflect upon and that we will be um, revolving around the verse that I began with, is the deception of this world. How is this world a deception? Or rather even, is it a deception? And if so, how is it a deception? And who made it a deception? And how do we navigate in this world if it is a deceptive world, if it is a world which is trying to get us to follow it rather than following Allah? The verse I began with, which I just want to reflect upon for a few moments before we move into the crux of the matter tonight, is from Surah Al-Fatir, chapter number 35, 
verse number 5. So if you have your Quran with you, chapter 35, verse number 5, Allah says, Ya ayyuhan nas, Allah is speaking to humanity. And you know, and one of the things that we have to get accustomed to when we read the Quran is to look at the words Allah uses. Sometimes Allah addresses the Ahlul Kitab, the Jews and Christians. Kul ya Ahlul Kitab, Allah says. Sometimes He addresses the Kuffar, the disbelievers. Kul ya ayyuhal kafirun. Other times He addresses the believers. Ya ayyuhal ladhina amanu, O you who have believed. But other times Allah gives a universal declaration. Ya ayyuhal nas, ya ayyuhal insan. O humanity, O the human beings, all of you as a collective. This is one of those verses. Ya ayyuhal nas, inna wa'dallahi haqq. O humanity, recognize that the promise of Allah, the promise of your God is a true promise. That promise that Allah has given that we will go back to Him is a true promise. But then what does Allah say? He says, فَلَا تَغُرَنَّكُمُ الْحَيَاةُ dunya." People, Muslims, non-Muslims, Jews, Christians, atheists, agnostics, Hindus, Buddhists, whatever religion you follow, recognize that this world, this hayatul dunya, the world of the temporal life that we lead, do not let this world delude you. Do not let it distract you from the true goal. And do not let the deceiver, the many deceivers that are out there, especially shaitan, iblis, the devil, Satan, do not let him mislead you, misguide you, deviate you, delude you from the path, from your conceptions about Allah, from your understanding of your eternal home after the life of this world. Now, one of the challenges that believers face and I mean all of humanity really I would say faces this, all believers, whether you're a believer in Christianity or Judaism or Islam or another Abrahamic religion particularly, is the balance between living Hayatul dunya, living the life of the world, and living as an individual who recognizes that they will die and that they will stand in front of Allah on the Day of Judgment to be accountable. It's a difficult balance for many of us to do because we know we come into this world, we go to school, we go to university, we get a great education, especially living in Canada. You know, Alhamdulillah, we have the greatest of universities, whether it be in, you know, in whatever province that we go to, the greatest of technical institutes, you have the greatest of universities that we can choose from. And so many of our youth obviously make the most of this opportunity which our parents, our forefathers did not have coming from another country. And we get a good education, a great education in Canada. We look for a career. And then we begin, you know, the whole process of life, of getting a family, of having children, of buying a home, of all of these things that come with the territory. But the challenge becomes is how do we ensure that we do not let the dunya delude us? All of these things are there, but then on the other side of the equation is Allah, is Jannah, is the Ridwan min Allah, the pleasure of Allah, the pleasure of God. How do we put these two in a balance? Again, we live in very difficult times. Had it even not been for the COVID-19 pandemic, I would still be talking about this, 
because this is a challenge of the era that we live in. We have so much to do, but we find so little time in our day to get things done. And many times, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, Allah takes a back seat. Because we say, well, I have to go to school. I don't have a room to pray my salat in. We have to go to work. There's, no, there's nowhere to make wudu to pray at work. We go on vacation. We don't want to, for example, pray salat outside because we're in the national park or we're doing whatever we're doing. So how do we balance this world and ensure that we fulfill our religious obligations? How do we recognize the world as being a delusion or, or something that's trying to delude us rather, trying to misguide us, trying to mislead us? Now, there's no doubt that Allah created the dunya and everything within it. He created all of the things that may divert us from His remembrance. He created all of these things. But ultimately, as we will see in the discussion for tonight, that we need to recognize where we have obstacles that we have to overcome. We have to recognize the fact that Allah has created this dunya. He created earth. He has put all of the beauty within the earth. But the goal is to be able to balance the life of this world and use the things in this dunya to make our akhirat. And we have to realize, brothers and sisters, that it's not an easy task. And many of us are working on that road to try and get to that level. But it's a difficult road. And it's a long road. And as Allah says, Ya ayyuhal insan, innaka kadihun ila rabbika kadhan famulaqi. That, O oh, human being, you are all you know, uh, toiling on towards your Lord, working towards Allah, working to get to that level, and you will reach Allah. So, this world, what is it all about? You know, I think the best way for me to describe to you what this dunya is, what this world is, the only really way that I could really describe it for you, other than the ayat of the Quran and the verse which we will look at very briefly from chapter 57, Surah Al Hadid, the chapter of the iron, is to give you an introduction in the words of the commander of the faithful, the man who was the master of words and who had a mastery over words and a man who has been able to describe this world for us like no one else has done probably before him and without a doubt after him. And so in the book Ghurul al-Hikam, which is a collection of sayings of the commander of the faithful Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, he has a tradition, it's a bit of a lengthy tradition, I'm just going to give you four words in the tradition, the beginning four words that Amir al-Mu'mineen says about this world. He says in this very powerful tradition, in the four words, he says, Ad-dunya taghurru wa tadhurru wa tamurru. Ad-dunya, this world, is three things. Taghurru, it deceives. Tadhurru, it harms. Wa tamurru, it passes by. Really, if this is all we could take from this uh lecture tonight, this would probably be enough. That this is the reality of the world that we live in, the, the hayatul dunya, the material world, the temporal world. Again, we don't want to say that we hate the world. We don't want to, you know, despise the world in that sense that it is the creation of Allah. We use it to the 
minimal that we need to survive to get to Allah, but we don't make over usage of it. So Amir al-Mu'mineen says, Adunya taghurru wa tadhurru wa tamurru. The world deceives, it hurts, it harms, and then it passes by. And if we look at it from that perspective, we realize that this world is again temporary. Our life here is temporary. Even if you become a billionaire, you will still die. You will still be buried in the same grave, the size of grave as a person who made you know, a, a regular five or six figure income. But again, we don't want to say that we don't work or live in this world. No, we also, and we will look at that near to the end, that we have to have a balance in our life. But we have to realize the delusions that this world can give us, the false hopes and aspirations that are a part and a parcel of this world. And if we can learn what they are and navigate and be able to um, make our way through this maze of life, then I think we'll be able to get to that level where we can um, deal with our difficulties in our lives through the Qur'an, through the Prophet's teachings, through the teachings of the Ahlul Bayt of Muhammad and Ali Muhammad, alayhum as-salatu wassalam, sallu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. So, how does a believer look at this world? With what glasses do we use to analyze and understand the dunya that we live in? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, being the creator of you and I, He didn't just create us and leave us on earth without a manual. You know, today you go and buy any product, you buy a television, you buy your smartphone, you buy anything that you buy today in the, in the, in, in the store or online, chances are they have a user manual. Either it's in the box or you go online and you download it. And that manual was created by the company or a department within the company that will show you how to safely use that product. How to plug it in, how to charge the battery, how to set different functionality in it, and so on and so forth. Well, we as human beings came with a manual, the Qur'an. And we came with a teacher to teach us the manual because sometimes, as those of you who are in school or have been to school, you'll know that you will get a textbook at the beginning of your year, whether it's math class or science or English or social studies, and a teacher will be there to teach you the book. You can read the text. You're not a fool. You've learned how to read English. But the teacher is there to teach you what's not necessarily written between the lines. He or she will guide you through the coursework, through the material, through the exercises. And then they'll teach you more than that is not necessarily in the book that they have learned from experience. So the Prophet and the Ahlul Bayt are the same for us. Allah didn't just give us the book. He says, وَيُؤَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةِ that the Prophet teaches the book and the wisdom to us and teaches us what we could never know, what we didn't have the ability to understand. So in chapter 57, which is what I want to focus on for tonight, verse number 20, Surah Al-Hadid, the chapter of iron, Allah brings a very unique verse, a very unique verse with a parable, with a, uh, with a similitude presented within it. And Allah says in this verse, I'lamu, understand, recognize, know this reality. 
And whenever Allah uses this word, اعلموا, this amr, this command form, to know and understand something, you and I need to pay more attention to this than maybe other ayat of the Qur'an. All of the Qur'an obviously is important, but when Allah uses certain warnings, certain um, language to spark our mind to think, we have to pay more attention to that verse. So he says, اَعْلَمُوا أَنَّمَا الْحَيَاةُ dunya." That this present worldly life is a series of things. What are the things Allah wants to tell us? He's going to tell us five different things of what this world is. The first thing is la'ib, play. And lahaw, what we will say is vain talk or amusement. Wazina, this world is a show of ostentation, of bragging, of showing off what we have, the good stuff. tafakhurun, it's a mutual boasting, competing with one another. And tafakhurun baynakum wa takathurun fil amwali wal awlad. It is a comp- competition in more wealth and more children. So what is Allah saying? He says, recognize this reality, that this world that you and I were brought into, that was created by Allah, that we have been put in as a test, we are set to do certain things in this life until we meet Allah, that the life of this world is five things. It's a play, it's laib, and it's lahaw, it's vain talk, or it's another level of gaming. It's a zina, it's a show of ostentation. And it's a tafakhurun baynakum. It is where people boast amongst one another. وَتَكَاثْرُونَ فِي الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَوْلَادِ It is to compete in wealth and children. And I'm going to explain what each of these is according to the commentators of Qur'an so we can better understand the delusion that this world puts us through. But before I go to that, look at the next part of the same verse. It's the parable Allah gives, the similitude that Allah gives to us, which is a very unique parable. I mean, there are multiple parables in the Qur'an, maybe close to 30 parables. This one is very unique, the way that Allah describes the hayat dunya the life of this world. He says, كَمَثُلِ غَيْثِ That this world, which is the la'ib and the lahaw and the zina and the tafakhrun baynakum and takathrun, uh, is like the rain that comes down. كَمَثُلِ غَيْثِ أَعْجَبَ الْكُفَّارَ نَبَعْتُهُ that the farmer becomes amazed when the rain falls and the plants grow, his crops grow. And then what is the, Allah says, ثُمَّ يَحِيجُ فَتَرَاهُ مُسْفَرًا So the farmer sees the rain fall, his crops, the, plant, the seeds he planted in the ground, he sees them grow, and then he's just looking at the crops. He doesn't do anything, he doesn't go and harvest. He's just looking, 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 looking at the crops. And they go from green, they begin to wilt, they become finally yellow. They're completely dead at the end of the season. He didn't harvest the crops. ثُمَّ يَكُونُوا hutama, And then he says, they become like straw. They're all just wilted. Just, there's nothing left of what he had planted. وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ أَذَابٌ شَدِيدٌ And in the Akhirat, Allah says, as a new thought, there is a painful punishment. وَمَغْفِرَةٌ مِنَ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانٌ But there's also forgiveness from Allah and رِضْوَانٌ, the pleasure of Allah. 
وَمَلْ حَيَاتُ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا مَتَاعُ الْغُرُورِ And what is the life of this world except for a very short, temporary pleasure? Now, I want to go through this because there's a lot of beauty within this verse of the Qur'an if we can reflect upon it and understand it how our commentators of the Qur'an have given us understandings of this verse. And I've looked at many different commentaries. I'm going to present to you tonight what Alama Tabatabai, the late author of Al-Mizan, has written, and also what some of our contemporary scholars, such as Ayatollah Al-Udma Sheikh Nasim Akarim Shirazi, and also Ayatollah Al-Udma Sheikh Jawadi Amali, present in his Tafsir Tasneem. The very first thing that Allah said is that, understand that the life of this world, اِعْلَمُوا أَنَّمَا الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا لَعِبْ this word laib obviously has multiple connotations, multiple definitions. We're going to translate it here as inattention, as just play, you know, games that people play. Ultimately, the definition of laib is any activity which has no benefit after it's finished. Right? And te- we tend to use this word when we talk about children playing, lahu and laib, for example. Laib, for example, you take your child to the park or to the beach, let's say, and they build a sand castle. They take the sand from the beach or the park, they put it in a bucket, add a bit of water, and they make a castle out of it, a sand castle. And then you just push it over and the whole thing breaks. Right? It's an activity which you did, but there's no benefit to it at the end of the day. It's just something you do for, for fun. It also builds up all these motor skills and abilities within the children. So at that level, these kinds of games are no problem because, you know, we have children and we obviously know that as they're born and for the first seven years, they're the king. They're in charge. You know, we let them play. We let them have fun. We let them explore the world to understand where they have come into. And so we let them enjoy life. Scholars of the Quran say that this first stage could be interpreted as being the first eight years of life. So children from birth up until eight, they spend this time getting to know the dunya, the world that they have been brought into. How does, you know, how do all these things work together? How does gravity work? What does fire do? What does this do? What does that do? They play with the world. But again, we have to keep in mind that this is what Allah is saying, that this world is a delusion, and it's deluding us. If we let these stages continue throughout our entire life, But for children, this is a a, a requirement to get to the stage of developmental in their personality and in their life. But then Allah says at level 2, this world is lahaw. Lahaw we we define as amusement. It's something done to pass time. And again, scholars of the Quran say that this could be from age 8 to 16. So first you're exploring the world. And now you're busy playing. You've learned a lot in the first eight years of life. You've learned about blocks and Lego and Play-Doh and you've played and you learned a lot of things. And mashallah, nowadays kids have iPads and, and video games and they're learning at a different level, unfortunately. But at the second level of amusement, which we could say is seen in the young children and those entering into the age of being a teenager from eight up until the age of 16, so you've gone 13, 14, 15, 16, you're in junior high school, you are in high school as well. We see that at that level, the games become a bit higher. 
No longer do you play in the sandbox or on the swings or in the park after school. Now you're on your video games, you're on your smartphones, you're playing on whatever gadget that you have. So you're taking up the fun a notch right? in terms of the technology that you're using. Again, a delusion, but it's a maybe a requirement at a level for development of the mind, development of the reflexes, development of the individual themselves, as long as it is in control, as long as the parents control the children. The third stage that Allah talks about is zina, this indulgence in the dunya, a decoration, an adornment. And again, scholars of the tafsir say that this could be a relation or a, re a reference rather to the third stage, age 16 to 24. So you're in high school, you're finishing high school, you go to college or to state or to university or to some other um, post-secondary institution. And now you've done playing, you've played for 16 years your video games and you played in the park and you've had fun in life. That has all been a delude, you know, deluding you from Allah to an extent. But now at the Zena stage is where people, the boys and girls, the young men and women in our community, they begin to have their character, they're developing their personality. It's where they begin to recognize opposite gender. Maybe they're thinking about a boyfriend or a girlfriend, which as we know in Islam is haram. Our youth should recognize the fact that we don't have a concept as a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You can have people of the opposite gender you know, that you're at school with, that you have to interact with. But we have to realize, to my brothers and sisters, young men and women, that we have barriers in Islam. We have issues of mahram, non-mahram. We have limits of how we physically interact with them, how much we speak to them. And by speaking, I don't just mean verbal. I mean, you know, if there's a girl at school, you don't, you should not be sending her, for example, private messages on TikTok or Snapchat or Instagram or instant messaging, unless it's something about work or school related. These sorts of things need to be controlled and curtailed, I would say, in, in totality. Because this is a time when we have that passion, that desire is there. Right? We're beginning to recognize our bodies, ourselves. We're going through hormonal growth changes. And we have to be aware that, yes, the opposite gender is there. We recognize that, we respect that individual. But we ensure that we don't go past those boundaries. At school, at work, um, or anywhere we may be for that matter. And so this third stage of Zena, it's where, for example, the young men and women want to well, you know, experiment with different styles of clothing, different hairstyles. Um, and, the, and unfortunately, we get all of this from the media, right? From what we watch on television, what we're watching online from YouTube. Again, from things like TikTok, like Instagram, these so-called influencers that are uh, nothing but um, problematic for many different reasons. But that's the, th the third stage of life. Again, a diversion from our true goal. The fourth level is tafakhurun baynakum, as Allah says, it's vanity, this boasting amongst one another. You've now passed through your elementary school, junior high, high school, you've completed university, let's say, you're now at the age of 24 to 32, so you're a young woman or a young man who's entering into the workforce, you're a 
maybe in the finance and banking sector, you're maybe in graphic arts, you're a designer, maybe you're um, in, in the field of medicine, you're an engineer, whatever the case may be. Now you're at that level of tafakhurun bainakum. You want to compete. So you have your classmates, you have your maybe family members, you have your community members at the Zahra Learning Center. And now you want to compete with one another. Right? You want to see who has, and young men like to do this, they like to buy nice sports cars and customize them, tint the windows and nice expensive rims and spoilers on the back and sound systems with big subwoofers and all of these things. Because we're competing with one another. We've, again, finished our games, we've had our fun, we've got educated, now we're making a bit of money. And so now we want to compete with one another. From age 24 to 32. And then what happens? Again, and it's, it's, it's distracting us from our true goal, like the farmer, as we'll get to in the example of the Quran. We then get to level number five, which is takathrun. Takathur in amwal wal awlad. This proliferation, this trying to get more stuff. Right? Like, like, like Allah says in the Quran, al hakumut takathur. Hatta zurtumul maqabir. This competition for more stuff, it diverts you until, and even when you go to the maqabir, to the graveyard, you're still competing with one another. And so we see that once you've passed all of those early years of life, you've finished school, you finish your playing, you've got your degree, now you're working, you're making a bit of money, you're able to flex with that. Now, 32 to 40 and beyond is where you're working, you've made yourself a career, you've got your nice house, you've got your two cars in the driveway, you've got your children. And now what do people do from that age until the time of death? It's, as Allah says, takathur, fil amwali wal awlad, getting more and more money, right? getting a bigger home. You have a, a 1,400 square foot bungalow, now you want a 2,000 square foot, a 3,000, a 4,000. You've got a car in your driveway, you want another car. You got a, you got a Toyota, now you want a Mercedes. You have kids, and then what happens is you become a grandfather, now you brag about your grandchildren how many grandchildren you have, how many son-in-laws you have, how many daughter-in-laws you have. All of these things become, again, a diversion from the main purpose of life. And unfortunately, in this rat race of these five stages, if we take it from age 0 to 40 and then beyond, this makes us forget about Allah. This makes us so busy in the world that we forget about our true purpose in life. We become workaholics. We work 10, 12, 14, 16, 18 hours a day. Our family doesn't get our time. Our spouse doesn't get our time. Our children doesn't, don't get our time. Allah doesn't get our time. We don't make for Hajj. We don't make time for Hajj. Ziyara of Aba Abdullah, we say, well, I'll go next year, inshallah. We don't make time for the religion because we're so busy in the delusionary aspects of this world. And then what happens is Allah says, at the next part He says, كَمَثِلِ kuffar, That the rain comes, وَأَعْجَبَ الْكُفَّارَ نَبَاتُهُ That the rain comes, the, the beautiful water from the skies comes, it waters the crops, and the farmer becomes amazed. Now you might say, well where did I get the word farmer from? But Allah used the word kuffar in this verse. 
And we should realize, just as a side note, let me say that the word kafir, you know, we use this as a, for non-believers. We say that person is a kafir. Allah uses the word kafir in the Qur'an multiple ways. One is for an unbeliever. But also uniquely is that a farmer is also a kafir. Because what is the kafir? Literally a kafir is one who covers, kafara. Kafara is to cover something. So when we say that that person who is not a Muslim is a kafir, they're covering the truth. A farmer is a kafir because he takes a seed, puts it in the ground, covers the seed with dirt. He's covered over the seed. So he's a kafir. But not in the same meaning of a kafir as in a non-believer. In any case, I just wanted to let you know that because if you look at this verse and you say, why is Allah calling farmers kafirs? Because that is the term that Allah uses in the Qur'an. So Allah says that this life that you and I lead of these five stages, not independent of one another, they're correlated, they're interrelated. He says that now think about a farmer. A farmer goes outside, he tills the land, he puts seeds in the ground, and then he covers the seed, it begins to rain, or he waters the crops, and the vegetation begins to grow. Now the farmer, he spent weeks and months, and especially for you who live in Calgary, if you just go a couple of kilometers outside of the main city, you'll see hundreds and hundreds of acres of farmland. You'll see horses and cows, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen this before. You'll see fields of canola growing and wheat, and different products that farmers are growing. But what you will not see is that a farmer will not just plant and then leave it to rot, no, that would be foolish of them. So they put the seeds in, as the Qur'an says. The rain falls, as the Qur'an says. The farmer becomes happy, as the Qur'an says. And go and ask the farmer, you know, what happens when it rains? And they're overjoyed when they get the right balance of sun and rain to grow the crops and to irrigate the crops. But then Allah says, the farmer just sits back, kicks his feet up, he relaxes, and the crops that he grew, they began to dry, they go from green, they began to wilt, they turn yellow. And then Allah says, ثُمَّ يَكُونُ hutama." They become like straw. He didn't harvest the crops in time. It become worthless, there, there's no benefit to that now. Allah says, think about that example of your life. You're given the blessings of Allah. You're given this entire process of birth, up until 40 years and then beyond to grow and to mature just like the crops. But what do you do with your life? Do you just waste it away to wither, to, to come into nothingness? Or do you harvest at the right time and make the most of what Allah has given to us? Allah ends the verse by saying that there is in the akhirah, in the hereafter, adhabun shadeed, a very painful punishment for those who don't use the abilities that God has given, who become deluded. Don't let this world delude you. But there are some who do that. And Allah says, for them is adabun shadid. But don't forget that Allah balances the equation always in the Qur'an. Yes, there is adabun shadid, but there's also maghfiratun min Allah. There's also forgiveness from Allah. So Allah, our God, Allah is not a vengeful God. He's a loving God. 
He's a caring God. Allah does not want to see you and me go into hell. He did not create us for the hellfire. Will people have to be reprimanded? Of course, we would be naive to think otherwise. But Allah did not create us to go to hell. He is a merciful God. He is a God of Rahmah. And so he says that there is also maghfiratun min Allah, and even better than the maghfirah of Allah. Now, what could be better than God's forgiveness? Ridwan, the, the pleasure of Allah. And other ayat, Allah says, وَرِذْوَانُ min Allahi akbar, That the pleasure of Allah, that is the greatest thing that we could ever attain. Allah says then, وَمَا الْحَيَاتُ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا مَتَاعُ الْغُرُورِ What is the life of this world? if not anything except a transient, a passing, enjoyment of delusion. Again, what a beautiful parable, brothers and sisters, if we looked at the world in the light of this one particular verse. Again, chapter number 57, Surah Al-Hadid, the chapter of iron, verse number 20. If we look at the farmer again, and just think about this, that a farmer goes through all of that struggle to plant and to harvest the crop, to be able to sell it in the market, to feed his family, to feed himself, to feed his livestock, maybe if he has horses or, uh, or cows or chicken. He does all of that work for a goal. He didn't grow the wheat or the canola for the sake of growing it. He grew it for a goal, a purpose. Now we have to ask ourselves is that, do I use my life in this world as the goal? Is this all a goal to eat, to wake up, go to work, go to school, get a job, make money, and repeat? Or are, are all of these ways to get to the goal? What is the goal? مَغْفِرَةٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ The pleasure of Allah. Right? So we have to recognize and ask ourselves personally, what is my purpose on earth? Why am I here? Why do I follow this path of Islam? As taught by Muhammad and Ali Muhammad wassalam. Am I being used by the system? Am I being deceived by this dunya? Am I being deceived by the internet? By TikTok? By Instagram? By Snapchat? By Facebook? By Netflix? Is Hollywood using me? Are the commercials and the industry of television using me as just a pawn in their game? Or is there something much greater than all of this? Now I'm not saying don't use technology, don't use the dunya. No, as I said, we use the dunya to get to the akhirah, to get to Allah. But we have to ensure that we think about this fact and recognize that we as believers, as human beings, as followers of Muhammad and Ali Muhammad wassalam. We have to realize that we make use of this world, but we do not let this world make use of us. We live in this world, but we don't let the world live within us. We benefit from this world, but we don't let the world benefit off of us. We use this world for what it can give us to get to Allah. And that includes even the, you know, the, the, some of the pleasures, the, the halal, the lawful pleasures. But we have to be careful that we don't 
exceed those limits and become deluded by the world. You know, this, this reminds me of the story of the time of the seventh Imam, Imam Musa ibn Ja'far. And the event that happened to him when he was in Baghdad, Imam al-Kadhim alayhi salam. Many of us have, I'm sure, been to his beautiful shrine in Kadhimiyah, where him and his and the ninth Imam are buried. There's a story that I'm sure we've all heard, but I just want to repeat it for those who have never come across it, about, <clears throat> about a man named as, known as Bishr al-Hafi. This is a nickname he took on. Bishr, we are told in this story, one day was having a party in his house. He had haram music playing. He had girls, women who were dancing and singing for him. It was what we would call a party in today's day and age. Live music, dancing, haram mixing between men and women, so on and so forth. It just so happens that in a short time period when Imam al-Qadim al-Islam was out of prison, because as we know he spent most of his life in house arrest and in the jails of the Abbasid Khulafa, Lanutullah alayhim ajma'in. He was released for a time period. One day he's walking in the streets of Baghdad. And right at that same time, out of the house of Bishr came the servant. She was one of the servants in the house and it was a party going on. So she had a lot of garbage that she had collected. She brought it out to throw it outside. Now it so happened as the Imam is walking by, this servant of the house comes out of the house with the garbage bin. The Imam sees her. And the Imam obviously hears the music playing, he hears the women dancing and clapping and singing and whatever they're doing, whatever debauchery they're involved in. And after saying salam to this uh, servant of the home, the, 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 the Imam asks, the seventh Imam asks this woman, she, he says that, is the owner of this house Hur or an Abd? Is he a free man or a, or a slave? Now the Imam obviously had a different meaning that he wanted to get, a, get over to this individual, but she says, no, he's a free man, he's Hur, he's free. And so the Imam tells her, she, he says that, yes, you're right, he is free. Because had he been an Abd, an Abd of Allah, he would not be involved in all of this, dunya, this temporal world, the delusion that he, has been put, that he has put himself into. So apparently this conversation took a few moments, a few minutes. The Imam left, went on his way walking in the streets of Baghdad and the, the, the servant, she went back in the house. Bishr asks her that why did it take you so long to throw the garbage out? You just had to throw it out and come back in. It doesn't take you four or five minutes. And she told him what happened, that she met this man and she said the man asked her a question. And Bishr asked her, what did he ask you? And she says, he asked me, is the owner of this house Hur or an Abd? Is he a free man or a slave? And I told him that he's free. And then she told Bishr that, you know what? He said that, yes, if he was a slave of Allah, if he was a slave and Abd, he would not act in this way. Bishr, who had again been involved in all of this haram and caught up in the world, he recognized that this was a wise man. And he recognized that this was not a normal person or a scholar or a, just a regular person of Baghdad. He knew who this man was who said these words. And so historians say he ran out of the house as fast as he could to find the seventh Imam. He ran, he ran, he ran, he found him and he actually did tawbah, he did istighfar to Allah. 
he asked Allah at the hand of the Imam for forgiveness. And he did this barefooted, no shoes on, no socks. And that's why he was called Bishr al-Hafi. Al-Hafi meaning the one who was barefooted. Because he ran out barefooted to meet the Imam, to apologize, to ask Allah for forgiveness for being caught up in this dunya. And actually we're told in the books of history that he never wore shoes after that day. He lived his entire life shoeless. To remind him of the sin he did on that day and what he had to do to repent for that action. Now let me end in these last few moments, brothers and sisters, with one hadith to get us to better balance our lives so we don't become deluded by the world, nor do we go to another extreme of becoming you know, completely so religious that we forget about the life of this dunya, that we balance the world that we have. Again, Amir al-Mu'mineen, the commander of the faithful, Ali ibn Abi Talib, may God's peace and blessings be upon him and his family forever. He says in a hadith, لَيْسَ مِنَّا مَنْ تَرَكَ دُنْيَاهُ لِآخِرَتِهِ وَلَا آخِرَتَهُ لِدُنْيَاهُ You are not to be called as one who is with us, the Ahlul Bayt. You're not our follower. If you leave the dunya and only focus on the akhirat, or you leave the akhirat and only focus on the dunya, the temporal material world, meaning that we have to come to a balance. We don't let the world delude us. We don't let the deluders delude us. But we live in the world. We make use of this, what Allah has given us. We make use of the games, the entertainment to a limit. We make use of the, the zina, the beauties Allah has given to us to a limit. We work to gather money to a limit. All of these things have to be within our limits. We don't go to excess in any of these areas. We don't become so deluded by the dunya that we forget the world, that we forget the world to come rather. We balance both of these. We recognize our true purpose in life and then we move on to recognize the fact that we are created by Allah. We will go back to Allah. And as the verse of Surah Al-Hadid mentioned and I'll end with this last sentence, is that as we live in this world, as we go to school, as we get uh, education, as we get a job eventually, as we get married eventually, as we have children eventually, we do all of this keeping in mind that we are seeking maghfiratun min Allah, the forgiveness from Allah, wa ridwan. Even more than that is the ridwan of Allah, the pleasure of Allah. Because the pleasure of Allah, that is the best thing we could ever get from Allah, my brothers and sisters. The money of this world will go away with inflation. You see what's happening in Middle Eastern countries today. And even in Canada, you see, talk to family and friends if they live overseas, how inflation is affecting many people in the Muslim world. You look at Iran, you look at Lebanon, you look at Iraq, I'm sure. You look at many of the countries in the Middle East and inflation is rampant. You look at Canada. If you're too young, ask your parents about the cost of living. These things will pass away. But what will remain is the forgiveness from Allah, the pleasure from Allah. And tonight on this fourth day of the month of Muharram, that, we're, that, we're, that you are just concluding, that we are just concluding, and this fifth night of the month of Muharram, I want to talk about a man in the next few moments as I conclude who 
truly got the maghfirah of Allah, subhanAllah. He truly attained the ridwan of Allah, the pleasure of Allah. He was a man that you and I know very well, a man named Hur ibn Yazid al-Riyahi. Hur, the free man as his name is, as his mother called him, Hur. Hur, as we know, was a commander in the forces that blocked Imam Hussein on the 3rd of Muharram when Abu Abdullah reached to this desert called Nainawa, or it was called Taf, or it was finally told he was called, it was called Karbala. Hur reached there with his thousands of soldiers on the same day as Abu Abdullah Hussein He blocked his way, he wouldn't let him move forward towards Kufa. He wouldn't let him change and turn back to Medina. He wouldn't let him take a step forward. The same Hur that we remember tonight was the same one who blocked Imam Hussein's way. But on that third day of Muharram, when Hur was ready to pray his Salat, Imam Hussein asked him, do you want to lead or do you want to pray behind me? And subhanAllah, Hur says, no, you are the master. You are the grandson of Rasulullah. You lead the prayers and we will pray behind you. This is the same Aba Abdullah who gave the animals that were within the cavalry of Hur of the water, as he gave the soldiers of the army of, or the, the battalion of Hur of the water they needed to quench their thirst on the third of Muharram. Brothers and sisters, the same Hur was the one who on the night of Ashura, when Aba Abdullah had dug a trench and had a trench dug around the camp and they lit a fire around that trench to protect them on this night of Ashura. The curse in Umar ibn Asad Mal'un, he saw the fire being lit and Hur was in the vicinity of Umar ibn Asad, the cursed Umar ibn Asad, and Umar yells out to Aba Abdullah that you light a fire today, are you preparing for yourself to go into the fire of hell? And Hur hearing these words, probably thinking to himself that this is the son of the daughter of Rasulullah, how can he go into the fire of hell? What are we doing? Are, are we not destined for hell? Brothers and sisters, it was probably on that night that that spark of revolution continued to develop within the heart of Hur, this free man who on the day of Ashura, when Umar ibn Asad again begins to plan the day of Ashura out, of what he's going to do, we know that on the day of Ashura, Abu Abdullah lets out a call asking if there's anybody there to help, if there's anybody there to answer his call. And Umar ibn Asad is there, and the, the young, the, the man Hur is there. And Hur turns to Umar ibn Asad and he says, Are you going to actually fight against this man? Are you going to attack this individual? And Umar ibn Asad says to Hur, he says, Hur, he says, the least of what I will do today the least of what we will do this afternoon is for the head, hands to be severed and for heads to be cut off of the bodies. Yes, we will do all that we have to do to bring this man to submission. It was at this point after Hur hears these words, my brothers and sisters, that he says to himself that I was wavering between two states of heaven and hell. On one side there is hell if I follow my commander Umar ibn Asad. On the other side is heaven if I follow Abu Abdullah al-Hussein. And he says, by God I swear that I would rather be burnt, I would, I would have my body burnt, I would have my body burnt by the fire 
and make it to heaven rather than follow these individuals and make my way to hell. It's at this point that we're told that Hur begins to get ready. He get mounts upon his horse. He has his spear in his hand pointed down to the ground with his head bowed in utter humility and humbleness and submission. He makes his way towards the camp of Abba Abdullah. He reaches to the camp of Imam Hussein alayhi salam. He meets the Imam. He asks Abba Abdullah. He says, Oh Imam, he says, I am the one who have prevented you from moving forward. I'm the one who have got you into this situation right now. I'm feeling so bad. I hear the cries of the children. He says, Is there any way for me to make tawbah? Is there any way for me to ask remorse? Brothers and sisters, Abba Abdullah, the one who is the grandson of Rahmatullil Alameen, he says to Hur, he says, Oh Hur, he says, if you turn back to Allah, then Allah will turn back to you. If you ask Allah for forgiveness for all that you have done, Allah will accept your forgiveness. Hur makes these words, he asks Abu Abdullah to forgive him. He asks Allah to forgive him. And on that day of Ashura, he begins first by asking Abu Abdullah for the permission to address the enemy troops. Abu Abdullah gives him the permission. He yells out to Umar ibn Sa'ad. He yells out to Shimr. He yells out to his fellow people whom he was a part of in the army. He says that, will you stand there and deprive the son of the daughter of Rasulullah of a drop of water? He says the Jews and the Christians and the Zoroastrians are drinking from the same water of the Alkama. He says the dogs and the pigs are drinking from the water. But yet you won't give the, the son of the daughter of Rasulullah even a drop of water to drink. At this point, out of feeling the grief and remorse, he asks Abu Abdullah for the permission to go to the battlefield. Imam gives him the permission. He goes and he attacks his former friends, his former colleagues. Historians in the books of Maktal mention that Hur goes and kills many of the individuals. However, unfortunately, as it has been a long day for Ahur, for many of the people involved in this tragedy, and the enemy forces are way too many in number, Hur is attacked, Hur falls off of his horse, and as Hur is laying on the ground, he lets out that last call to Aba Abdullah, Alaikum minnis salam, Ya Aba Abdullah. Imam Hussein is able, with the energy that he has, to rush towards the battlefield. As the enemy people retreat, Imam Hussein goes to Ahur. He puts his hand, he takes his head and he puts it in his lap. He wipes the blood from the face of Hur. He says to Hur as Hur is leaving this world, he says, Oh Hur, he says, Oh Hur, you are just as your mother named you, Hur. You are a free man. You are free in this world. And you are free in the world to come. وَسَيَعْلَمُ الَّذِينَ ظَلَمُوا أَيَّمٌ قَلِبٍ يَنْقَلِبُونَ لِلَّهِ وَإِنَّا إِلَيْهِ رَاجِعُونَ We ask Allah, on this fifth night of Muharram, as we commemorate the legacy of Karbala and the tragedy of Aba Abdullah salam, that Allah accept this act of worship from us tonight. We ask Allah to be given the basira, the insight, the true understanding of the, of the temporal world that we live in, the illusory world of this, the life of this world, and that we can understand the temporary nature of this world and to be able to use this world only to get to your station, Ya Allah, to get to your pleasure. We ask Allah to accept our acts of worship and to give us the ability to increase in our practice and our knowledge of the deen of Islam so that we can be there to help and assist Imam Al-Hujjah when he makes his advent along with Nabi Isa alayhi salatu wasalam to establish the government and the government of justice and equality upon this earth.